0: Before we begin, we'd like to take a moment to let friends know that Ohio Yearly Meeting will be holding its 2021 sessions, 8th month 3rd through 8th month 8th. That's August the 3rd through August the 8th. Yearly Meeting is a pleasant time when we gather for worship, fellowship, and business. Visitors are most welcome. This year, we'll be in a Zoom hybrid format. That is to say, we will be meeting over Zoom as well as physically in the meeting house. So, even if you can't travel to Ohio, you can participate via Zoom. Our agenda and registration is available online. Go to our website, ohioyearlymeeting.org, and click on events, or simply enter ohioyearlymeeting.org slash events. That's ohioyearlymeeting, one word, then dot org You can register online, but you must register to attend, even if you're attending online. Zoom connection information will be provided upon registration. Thanks, and we hope to see you there.
1: Christ near to all, the light in all, the seed sown in the hearts of all. Okay, this is Ohio Yearly Meeting's Fundamental Beliefs of Conservative Friends, What We Are Conserving. This is session number six. Last time I spoke on the inward cross, taking up the inward cross of Christ and self-denial, and the true meaning of self-denial, which is the, the need to renounce that ego, that egotistical pride that we have in ourselves. And that this is a follow-up part of repentance, the true meaning of repentance, what it originally meant in early Christianity, and it was one of the primary focuses of Jesus's preaching. Unfortunately, that word has changed its meaning so much that people don't understand what that means in terms of repent. Uh, They more often think of it as being remorseful or feeling sorrowful or regretful. That's only part of it. What he was really saying was that we need a paradigm shift in our way of thinking. We really need to thoroughly look at the world differently, look at ourselves and look at God from a perspective that we have not been doing. And this is the whole sense of uh, repentance. And the Greek word is metanoia. Basically, it is this paradigm shift, this command to really change And the reason for that is that without repentance, no one can see God. Without this thoroughgoing change in our thinking patterns and the way we speak and the way we act in the world, how we treat each other, there's no entering into the kingdom of God, into the kingdom of heaven, into that divine state, a divine state that friends have understood should even be possible before our physical deaths. And that this was the true message. I mean, this is very different from what you hear in most all other Christian denominations. Friends were very clear about this and pointed to scripture as, as indicating it this way. That this kingdom of God, this kingdom of heaven, this state of divine state of God, also s- spoken of as life with a capital L or eternal life, as you see in the gospel according to John and elsewhere that this is the reason for repentance. This is the reason why we need to really have this thoroughgoing change in our mental apparatus and and following that, a follow-up in terms of how we act in the world. I want to just read again something I read from Robert Barclay's Apology for the True Christian Divinity, which was again written in the 17th century. If I were to translate that title into modern English, it would be, a defense of the truly christian theology and this is from his 15th proposition i'm just going to read the very first part but this was the whole focus of early quakers and traditional quakers and conservative friends i'll modernize the english a bit just so you're aware of it seeing the primary goal of all religion of all true religion is to liberate men from the spirit and empty Conduct of this world, and to lead them into an interior communion with God, before whom, if we fear always, if we are always in awe, we are then accounted happy. Therefore, all the empty customs and habits of the world, both in word and deed, are to be rejected and abandoned by those who come to this fear, to this awesome, this gobsmacking awe for God. Our creator. I mentioned last week that uh, the first step in this metanoia, in this repentance, as understood by friends, is being convinced. In the original meaning of that word in the 17th century, which is being convicted, that is, being found guilty by God of sin. It's the first appearance of the anointing within, the anointed one, as we understand Christ. That meaning of that word is the anointed one. In the future, I'll talk more about the further steps, but that is the, that's the first step. The second and third steps, of course, have to do with being converted to God. That is changing one's whole mind and focusing towards God. And finally, amendment of life, and that is changing the way we, we act and speak in the world. I'm going to be speaking... In terms of what we said last week about taking up this inward cross of Christ, self-denial as it was originally understood, and I want to just speak about some of the worldly influences and spirits that we have to deal with today. As I had mentioned last summer when I gave that series of talks called the morning sharings at the yearly meeting. I want to repeat these things because unless you really have an understanding of what this true repentance is, the need to really become righteous in God's eyes, to become upright in God's eyes, everything else that might follow won't make much sense unless you really begin to go onto that path, that way, the way to God. As the spirit of Christ, of the anointed one in Jesus says, I am the way, I am truth and life. I am the way to God, this divine spirit. I am eternal truth and reality. I am eternal life. I am life that is beyond death. So I'm going to be speaking more specifically about influences and issues that mostly we Americans, I know we're not all Americans here, uh, but these are the things we have to do uh, in terms of the issues we have with regard to our egotistical pride and arrogance and hubris, you know, the kinds of questions that or you'll hear Americans say often, you know, who do you think you are telling me so-and-so or with this and that? Uh, or you think you can tell me what to do? I have my rights, this sort of thing. The whole focus on this repentance is to develop a certain type of humility in the fear of the Lord in terms of really knowing your place in the world, knowing that you, are, you need to get off your high pedestal Know off your high horse and right back on the ground. Start where you really are. As it says in Genesis, dust thou art and into dust thou shalt return. So it's really an essential point before going on to anything else. True Christianity is about a change in behavior and conduct. If you recall or if you don't know, in early Christianity in the first two centuries or so, you were expected to sin no more after you became a christian there's no hypocrisy your yay had to be yay and your nay nay you you couldn't be anything but truthful Uh, unfortunately we are not taught to be humble we are so often taught to be arrogant in this world or to be aggressive in business and so many other areas of life and yet this is not the holy way this is not the way to the lord There are three conservative yearly meetings left in the United States today, Ohio, North Carolina, and Iowa. At the beginning of the 19th century, there were several others, Canada, New England, Western, Kansas. They're all gone now. They've been swallowed up and merged with other meetings, liberal meetings, or others, uh, more pastoral meetings, or have just disappeared. My fear is that what I'm seeing now is the same thing can happen with uh, the yearly meetings we have, Ohio yearly meeting, my own meeting. As the Apostle Paul said in Romans sorry, when he was talking about is a Jew is not one who is a Jew outwardly. A Jew is a matter of the heart and mind. I could say a Quaker is not one who is a Quaker outwardly. A true Quaker is a matter of the heart and mind. And quaking before the power of the Lord God in awareness of his power. The names Quaker or friend have no copyrights on them. Anyone can use them and say they are Quakers. We need to be aware of that. Likewise, with the name Christian, anyone can call themselves a Christian and so many do so, but there is a vast hodgepodge of conflicting beliefs among those who do. So many religious wars, battles, struggles have been fought among those who call themselves Christian, it's hard to say who is a real Christian. I have been told that there are some 50,000 different Christian denominations in the world today, perhaps 20, 30,000 in the United States. You can just start your own little church on the corner if you wish. My own feeling is that what conservative friends have conserved is much closer to what was originally there, not the Christianity you see in history in terms of persecutions In terms of Crusades and Inquisitions, Roman Inquisition, Spanish Inquisition, all of the horrible side of Christianity, which is not Christianity, but it's there because they've strayed so far from what was there originally in terms of following Jesus. In terms of conservative friends, I see several influences affecting Ohio Yearly Meeting today. Influences from liberal Quakers and their unwritten beliefs, and the influences that caused them to become liberal friends, the the deists and deism of the 18th and 19th century. A second area of influences from pastoral and evangelical friends and their beliefs, as I see it, they had regressed back to earlier forms of Christianity. George Fox and other early Quakers talked about the long dark night of the apostasy, that the previous 1,600 years before they lived was a long, dark night of apostasy, that what was pure and true in early Christianity gradually over time became something totally distorted from what it was originally, so that it was unrecognizable in terms of what those very first Christians were like. Then also there's a third area of influence from other religious denominations that call themselves Christian, course that you'll get through radio and tv and books and every other form of media and finally there are the influences from the world itself in general the secular world especially for us our current American culture and society that that basically pervades every atom of our environment Uh, it's very powerful a lot of it is unconscious and I'd like to speak a bit about that As I mentioned last summer, I had, a few years ago, began to look at YouTube videos of um, foreigners in various countries being asked what they think of Americans. People were asked on the street in almost all cases, uh, in Japan, Australia, France, England, Germany, Russia. And it's very, very interesting because it's very hard for us to look at ourselves, but others can look at us from a distance and have a perhaps sometimes a clearer perspective of us these stereotypes that appear are very interesting and i think they can be useful to say something to us about our need to change as americans i'm not going to speak much about the positive views i mean things like that you know they see us as very friendly and that there are things that they don't have in their countries like uh, doggy bags at restaurants <laughs> or um, that it's possible to return merchandise to stores. This is an American kind of thing. But it's more the, the negative things that we should listen to and pay attention to. I was just looking at a new video, Russians, young, young Russians, mostly in their 20s, being interviewed on the street and asked what they thought about Americans today. And the two things that came out most common that you also see in these other interviews is that Americans are fat and that Americans are arrogant. And those were two very persistent kind of views of Americans. And I think when you hear that and you see it from different countries, the United States is an extremely powerful country financially and militarily. Oh, and in terms of this arrogance, I should mention, it's, you hear this all the time, that we are the greatest. Americans often are saying that. Well, what does that make the rest of the world? You know, we're 4% of the world's population. And also, our military budget is almost 50% of the world's total military budget. That says something there, too. Some other things are that we are loud. These are from Canadians. Uh, super nationalistic. We think we're better than others. This is kind of a, an important point, because in terms of repentance, metanoia, this paradigm shift in thinking and acting, it's getting to something that is perhaps mostly unconscious, that we're trying to, to get to that deeper part of ourselves, with the help of the Lord, to really become true children of God. Sometimes we need to look at the negative things. As I was saying, this first step in repentance that friends called convincement, which meant conviction in the 1600s, is being found guilty of all these things that we may not have been aware of. And oftentimes uh, some of these people in listening to Quaker preachers then would be overcome with emotion and fall on the floor and shake, or we would say quake, which is one of the reasons why early friends are called Quakers. The other reason is that George Fox, the founder himself, had told a judge that we should quake before the power of the Lord. One other important area in terms of these influences on us, uh, and that we may not really be aware is syncretism, that in many countries, more specifically in Asia, like Japan, where People's beliefs are a hodgepodge of various beliefs. You might be following Taoist beliefs in one point and Buddhist in another and Shintoism and also even some Christian things like the introduction of Santa Claus or whatever, if you think of that as Christian. But there is this kind of mixture of beliefs as well as worldly beliefs in terms of the gods of this world. And I think that's very true for us, too, as Americans here in the United States. That, But we don't name these things. We don't call these other gods, these idols that we worship, gods. We, we refuse to give them names. And yet, so much of our actions and our beliefs and the way we do things are worshiping that golden calf, the god in, among the Greeks that we would call Plutus, the god of money and wealth. Same thing, the god of mammon among the Assyrians. That is a God, and it's it's a powerful God. People pay attention to it every day. We are told there are no gods before God, and yet we do have these idols uh, that we worship, but we kind of refuse to call them by their names. I live about 20 miles south of San Francisco, and I was surprised to learn that there are 74 or 75 billionaires who live just in the city of San Francisco. There are some 2,000 in the whole world, but that's quite a few. They worship money. Another worship is something called bibliolatry, as you probably some of you have heard, and that's where people worship the Bible. Friends do not worship the Bible. They worship the spirit of God that was in the writers that wrote those books of the, in the Bible. There's a big distinction there, but that's an important distinction. That spirit of the anointed one of Christ, of the light of Christ, that are in those writings is what we should be worshiping. And yet people so often, you find so many Christian denominations who are so focused on the words and, you know, I'm a Bible-believing Christian or something, or we're a Bible-believing church. The Catholics talk about, I'm trying to remember the Latin term, scriptura, et traditio et scriptura. Uh, scripture and tradition are the basis or bases of their faith. And among Protestants, I think you'll find that the Bible, you know, scriptura, specifically originally with, with Luther being the basis of their faith. But I would say that if we want to talk about our faith as conservative Quakers, it is the Spiritus Christi, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of the Anointed One, in us, in the world, that is the basis of our belief, even before anything gets written. It's that word of God, that divine light that has always been there at the beginning and and since. Henry, can I ask a question? Please. Do you, in your Quaker understanding, believe that the Bible is errant or fallible or false or contradictory? As part of your placing the spirit above the Bible? Friends have traditional friends and conservative friends will not call the Bible the Word of God. The Bible, the books of the Bible, are written expression of what that word of God is saying and has said in those inspired writers, in those prophets, in those writers throughout many hundreds of years. But the Bible itself does not say everything about everything. And yet if you understand that that word of God is in you, as this was a term that was often used by early Christians in their writings that you know they really focused on this word of God, this expression of God, this utterance of God as being the focus of their faith. I'm not sure Paul if he's aware of the various kinds of things that those who are Bible scholars are looking at at the various manuscripts and the changes and differences in manuscripts and the issues that you find so much profound variation in, in people's interpretation of the new testament you kind of say well this is impossible that you can't have all these different interpretations of the same verse and yet they're out there i'm not sure if i'm answering that question or not well it sounded you know, but like you I, were going around it like the logos is that what you're talking about yes Yes, the Logos. Of God. right. Logos as a Greek word, and that's the, gets usually translated as the word of God. More specifically, it should be translated as utterance—anything that gets verbally expressed. On the other hand, it also refers to the inward, the interior power of rationality of reason. The Hebrew Bible uses the term wisdom. That's basically the equivalent of saying Word of God in the sense of the inward mental, psychological, spiritual sense. I talk a lot about these things in the uh, Bible study that I do on Monday on second day evenings at 7.30 Eastern. That's why it's somewhat hard for me to give a simple answer to this. I could, I could spend a whole hour doing it. And I don't want to be misunderstood by just saying a, a few sentences here anything further about that? Just, I understand the lowercase L logos. uh, Do you also have the concept of the capital L logos as in Christ is the logos? Oh yes, that's that's what I'm saying. That is the spirit of Christ. There's a wonderful passage. I'm just going to go to that right now. This is in the first epistle of Peter chapter one. I'm going to begin with verses 10 and 11 here. What it's referring to is this eternal spirit of Christ and what it was saying in the Hebrew prophets predicting and saying about the sufferings of Jesus as the Christ. See, I'm, I'm using Christ here in a couple of senses here, but let me just read this. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that was to be yours made careful search and inquiry inquiring about the person or time that the spirit of Christ within them indicated when it testified in advance to the sufferings destined for Christ and the subsequent glory. Now, that's the spirit of Christ in these ancient prophets. That reminds me of another passage, too, that's very similar. Let me just read this other one, too. This one's a bit longer. I'm going to read nine verses. And it's the very last verse that's important here. And this is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting with verse 1. The writer Paul is speaking here. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from that spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ, the anointed one. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, and they were struck down in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples for us, so that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not become idolaters as some of them did. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. And now this verse. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Now it's the spirit of Christ that was in all of these holy people in the Old Testament that we are talking about that same spirit of Christ that is in Jesus who we understand to be the Christ the anointed one.
0: Henry? Yes. Um this is Travis. Would it also be fair to say that conservative friends would go to Barclay for his treatment of the scriptures and proposition 3 to go there for an understanding would that still be a place where conservative friends would go?
1: That's where I would go as a conservative friend. Among conservative friends you can talk about a conservative wing and a liberal wing. <laughs> i'm probably on the more conservative wing the fact that i can read ancient greek and can read the new testament in greek gives me a, a very different perspective than many people who cannot read the original language unfortunately I, I can't read hebrew i don't know hebrew but yes i i would agree with that in chapter three the third proposition of barclay is just where i see it is at but he says something pretty fascinating too that if we have the same spirit fully in us, the same spirit of Christ, this, this wisdom, this word of God, we too should be able to write works just as good as those written in the Hebrew Bible or in the New Testament. And that's a pretty shocking thing for a lot of people who call themselves Christian to say. But I just know that there are a lot of writings of early friends that I feel are really just as anointed as anything else that I've read in the Bible. Um, I like to think of it as the difference between the word of God and the word from God, which is slightly different because from means that I can internalize it and become it. Of means it's sort of something that's out there separate. The the problem is in the Greek, they can be one and the same. (laughs) So I don't know what else I can say about that. But this word of God, this light, we look at it in two ways, as this eternal spirit of God, the the more knowable, let's say, spirit of God, because God in himself is unknowable, invisible, non-material. We can't even approach him. I mean, it's impossible to see the face of God. If you go to the first verses of the Gospel according to John, and here again we have a translation problem sometimes that happens. You know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I mean, the, and God was the Word. You know, it was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through it, and without it not one thing came into being. And what came into being in him was life, And that's life with a capital L. If you recall in Genesis, the tree of life, this is eternal life. And the life was the light of all people. That light shines in darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. That's one aspect, I think. So when I myself personally, I I look at this word Christ, I'm thinking in two ways. I'm thinking of this eternal spirit that has always existed even before Christ. Creation, and then also the title given to Jesus as being the Anointed One, because we as Quaker Christians understand that fear was in Him fully, completely. If if I could
0: jump in here towards Paul's question, in the book released by the OIM Traditional Quaker Christianity, mm-hmm. Nancy Hodkins referred us to when we began you know, studying Quakerism.
1: Yes. Uh, The first and especially the second chapter of the book goes into a lot more detail into how we interpret the word and apply it to our lives. And that
0: might be something uh, Paul and Amanda might look into.
1: Yeah, that's a good place. There's also a very good early Quaker work that's been reprinted in two or three editions just in the last like 20 years. It's by William Shewan, The True Christian's Faith and Practice, I think is the name. It's one of these very long names, and I only remember the first few words. It lists various aspects, spiritual topics, and it shows how Quaker understandings are different and distinct from other so-called Christian beliefs. And I find that to be a very powerful work, and it makes it much clearer how our understanding and how we believe our understanding goes right back to that of early Christianity, rather than The long dark night of the apostasy, which early Quakers talked about, and that is that over time there was this gradual decline from the original beliefs or more and more misinterpreting and just totally gone off the track. The long dark night of apostasy. A heresy is where you don't believe in one specific teaching or doctrine. Apostasy is when you throw out a whole pile of them. And so they were saying that Christianity up through, you know, the 17th century essentially had become this long dark night of apostasy. Not that there weren't good holy people who lived their lives, but that the structures that they dealt with, these church structures, had nothing to do with what was there originally. Actually, at some point in a future session, I I will talk a little bit about how Quakers went and retranslated all these early Christian terms that you see like priest and deacon and church and so forth. And they translated them from the original words so that you get overseer and elder and meeting and clerk uh, rather than bishop and the kinds of things you see in churches where these have become so vastly different from what they were in that first sec- first and second century. So, yeah, but definitely, yes, do read uh, traditional Quaker Christianity. But I would also recommend William Shewen. That's spelled S-H-E-W-E-N. The True Christian's Faith and Practice, I believe it is. Experience. Uh, I'm sorry? It's Faith and Experience. Faith and Experience, that's right. I've actually read it several times now. Unfortunately, it's somewhat antiquated English, and that's difficult, and you can misinterpret things, but I would seriously recommend that book. Yeah, I have a reading list that I created last summer of some basic Quaker writings. Most of these are older writings. Other questions? All right, uh, if there are no more questions or comments, I think we can just end now, and I hope to see many of you next week at the same time. All right. Thank you, friends. Thank you. And Thanks, Henry. Thanks, care. Henry. Bye thank thank you, Henry. Thank you.
0: Christ near to all,
1: the light in all, the seed sown in the hearts of all.
0: This podcast on the fundamentals of conservative friends' understandings has been a production of Ohio Yearly Meeting. It was hosted by Henry Jason and edited by Chip Thomas. The words to our music are from Robert Barclay, quoted from his work, The Apology for the True Christian Divinity. The words were put to music and sung by Paulette Meyer. Paulette's CDs are available at paulettemeyer.com.